in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. to be here mitch it is wednesday my dude it, it is wednesday my dudes oh. we're, we're, we're recording this on february 2nd it is 0202 today like i'm sure there's some weird numerical spiritual energy coursing through the earth today because of the date if you believe in that uh must be a special day and that's why we're recording groundhog saw his shadow so pucks tawny phil saw his shadow six more weeks of winter so. six more weeks of winter. it's clearly i i you know it's been it's been cold here in utah but clear skies right no storms coming through uh yesterday was fine you know whatever cold clear i went to bed i woke up this morning i look outside there was like an inch of snow where did it come from no idea it was bright and sunny outside again I was like, where in the middle of the night did this snow come from? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm clearly seeing six more weeks of, uh, of winter out here, at least. I, I'll tell you what, I'm not out here. We're, we're in the 60s come, come afternoon. This feels like springtime. So. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. That is great. I wish that sounds wonderful, Mitch, because cold it wind, been, though. Cold wind coming sure. off the bay. I mean, so. it is, yeah, it's still February, but uh, I just wish I could golf. You know, it's been months since I've been able to go golfing. I need to go hit driving range somewhere. I'm probably rusty, but I'm just, I wish I'd love some 60 degrees. I go play nine. I'm itching. Oh, yeah. Get 18 in while you're at it. Why not? Yeah, it's true. You can't in the snow. Can't see the ball. I have some purple. Uh, yeah. I have some purple golf balls. They would work. Oh, yeah. I always feel like I play worse with the colored golf balls, and I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I think now, I get maybe because you're colorblind. It. Uh, I, I don't think we have to talk about that. I mean, I, I don't think that's part of it. I mean, I don't know that I don't really use them. You know, I'm, I'm like a, a traditional kind of guy, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're at. That was the podcast today, guys. So thanks for, thanks for, uh, listening. Thanks for listening. You can listen to us on Apple podcast. <laughs> no, we got, we have so much to talk about today. Actually, we're going to, uh, we're going to obviously react to the conference championship weekend. It is Bengals Rams in the Super Bowl. And another great weekend of football games coming down to the wire. Uh, so we'll obviously react to the conference championship. Do a little bit of looking ahead at the Super Bowl. Uh, next week's episode will be a Super Bowl preview. But uh, do a little bit of that. Look forward to that at the end of the uh, podcast. But today we're going to start with uh, news all around the world of sports, especially in the NFL. Um, so I, I, I say we don't wait. I think we just kind of jump right in. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into the news! All right. <laughs> there you go. 
I liked it. Oh, good. Sound like a train. I yeah, I was kind of going for a locomotive sound. Okay, like a Thomas the Tank Engine sort of vibe. Thomas the Tank Engine, definitely, definitely Thomas the Tank Engine. Hey, speaking of Thomases, we have to talk about a uh, a pretty prominent Thomas uh, this week. Oh my God, um, what a what a fucking transition! By the way, holy cow. <laughs> That just was incredible. It. I was not trying to like I I was just trying to throw this whole podcast even more off. And look at you just right. I mean, just you took that wheel and you whipped that shit right back in the lane. Incredible. And for one of the greatest segues in podcasting <laughs> history, Tom Brady calling it quits, hanging up the cleats after 22 seasons in the NFL, 20 of those with the New England Patriots, two, the last two, uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, seven NFL titles one with the buccaneers six up in new england uh dallin we've seen a lot of those quarterbacks from our childhood um in recent years step away from the game philip rivers being one of them drew Brees, ben roethlisberger just a few weeks ago and now tom brady stepping away from the gang game hanging it up after 22 seasons apparently Schefter can see into the future and just call that Tom Brady's going to retire. But uh, this is a monumental moment um, in NFL history uh, when the goat walks away from the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do. Before we get in uh, to Brady himself, I do kind of want to talk about the, the drama around how this all broke. Cause I found this fascinating, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, on Saturday, Adam Schefter, NFL reporter, ESPN reporter for, uh, you know, uh, on the NFL r- reports that Tom Brady is set to retire him and his sources, uh, him and Jeff Darlington also of ESPN. Uh, right. So co- corroborated sources, he's going to retire, right? Everyone starts saying their thank yous, you know, giving him his roses. Everyone's ah, oh, Tom Brady's gone. I, I'm doing my, my show on Saturday on the radio. I see it come through and I immediately just had a feeling. I was like, I don't know about this. That, like until we see Brady or somebody really like, I, I just, I'm not going to believe it. So we see it come out. People are like, we're digging it, digging it. And then a couple hours later, it's like, hold on. He hasn't told the bucks that he's the GM was like, he hasn't told us anything. He hasn't told us one way or the other. And Bruce Arians is like, yep. I haven't heard anything. But Tom Brady's dad's like, he hasn't decided yet. And so we have this thing where we have to wait all weekend. We already said goodbye to Brady, right? We had a couple hours to like say our, you know, thank you. This was great. Reflect on his career. And then we were forced to wait till Tuesday to like actually do it. And I honestly think, and I, and I said this to you on Saturday, I said, I honestly think that the reason why this happened the way it happened is because Tom Brady was upset about the way that this news got out and that he wanted to own his retirement and Schefter got the scoop and he went with it as he has to do. That's his job, right? Like that's, and clearly he felt confident in his sources to put it out there. And I mean, he was right. (laughs) Like he wasn't wrong. I think Brady was just mad that he didn't get to own it. So out of spite, he waited three days and then did the news anyways. It's borderline. I borderline want to put Adam Schefter in the pit of misery just because like he kind of just stole Brady's thunder. I mean, here's I mean, like it is his job to report news, right? And we see this all the time. Trades, transactions, retirement, signings, all this stuff. 
you know, if it could get, if it, if the information gets out there to one of those guys, they will report it. That's as an NFL reporter, that's his, that's his job. I think it's different when it comes to retirement. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's up to the player to announce when he's ready to go. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to put him in the pit of misery. Fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, you're, you're the warden, right? I mean, I I know, I know, but you make a fair point. It is his job, but at the same time, like this just seems like to me, when it comes to retirements, especially a player of this caliber, like a player of this, the goat, the goat, he is the most notorious player in NFL history. He should have, or he should have the right reserve, the right to announce his retirement when he feels like he's ready to announce it. Not because some insider got some scoop from somewhere down the line. So I would say then that the blame or the, you know, the, the blame doesn't go to Adam Schefter. It goes to whoever leaked in the information. Somebody around Brady knew he was going to retire and told Adam Schefter. And once Adam Schefter has that information, if you got told that Tom Brady was retiring and that is your job was to report things, you would be not doing your job to not say anything about it, right? So once he has the information, he kind of has no choice but to put it out. So I would say whoever gave that information to Adam Schefter would hold the blame in that regard. And I do understand where you're coming from when it comes to retirements. You know, those guys should reserve the right to announce that themselves. Um, It is sort of the nature of the world we live in, the way that media and even sports media exists, uh, you know, that ever, uh, you know, clasping at news and new information. Uh, It's unfortunate how that played out. It was fascinating, though, seeing it all right out. And I just wanted to point out that I did call this. I basically I told you like Monday, Tuesday morning to Brady's just going to say like, yep, I'm done. And sure shit, Tuesday morning. There we go. He was uh, he was officially out. So, it, you know, it you brought up all the quarterbacks and interestingly enough, didn't uh, didn't include your favorite quarterback, Eli Manning, which is uh, a real blow to, to Eli's ego. Um, Sorry, uh, Eli, elite, you're elite part of that quarterback group. and all. But, uh, you know, I. I said this last week that it felt like we are in a true turning of the page in the NFL. Now, when it comes to uh, its image, right? These quarterbacks have been the face of the NFL for the last 10, 20 in Brady's case, 20 years, you know, and we're finally now seeing the new wave, the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allen's, the Joe Burrows. Those are the guys this season, Justin Herbert. Those are the guys that are, making Nate like making waves in the NFL. They're really doing impressive things, right? That duel that we saw between Josh Allen and Mahomes was the best thing we've seen all year, right? Like those are the face of the NFL. What Joe Burrow's done with the Bengals. These guys are the new face of the NFL. And at the same time, we see the old uh, regime, if you will, fade away, retire, move on. And so it is, it very much feels like we're in a new era of the league. It's exciting. The, the, the stars, the young talent in this league is exciting. These quarterbacks are exciting. It's only going to get better. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to look back on Brady after 22 years and all that he accomplished. It's exciting also to look forward at uh, what the next 20 years in this league will look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a lot of promise in the, in the young faces that are in the league today. You mentioned the, you know, the Josh Allen's, the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herbert's, 
um, the Patrick Mahomes, the Lamar Jacksons, those type, you know, those types of players, we have a lot of promise. Um, but you can't help but feel a little nostalgic as you see uh, kind of the last chip to fall um, of that era of quarterbacks uh, finally hang up the cleats um, and call it a career. Um, you, you know, it, the, the GOAT conversation will go on forever as far as, uh, you know, who the greatest quarterback of all time is. But Tom Brady right now, I think, has cemented uh, his place for the time being as the greatest quarterback of all time. We may see the new GOAT emerge in this new era of quarterbacks. Um, but Tom Brady hanging it up, I think, at the right time. Uh, two successful seasons to end his career. He got the chip uh, last year with the Bucks. Had a successful run with the Bucks again this year through all the drama with his wide receiver core through injuries uh, continued to get it done lead, led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns yeah. uh, at age 44 is an incredible feat um hell of a career goat hell of a career yeah i mean uh honestly uh you know i used to I used to hate Tom Brady or want to hate Tom Brady, right? I mean, I think it was natural. If you weren't a Patriots fan, you really didn't want to root for the guy. Uh, I think I truly came to respect Tom Brady uh, after the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl. After that comeback, doing that, accomplishing something that incredible at the biggest stage uh, to me was the, the icing on the cake, the cementing of that guy's the goat. I can't help but respect him now. You know, well, I might not what... root for him, but you know, it just that was kind of the moment for me at least where I was like, yeah, this is he's the guy. He's the goat I mean, and it's all hats off to him now, you know. That's it, but that's a common trait of a goat, you know, like you want to hate him and you almost love to hate him. Exactly. But yeah. you and they also at, get that as that but ultimate at the end competitor. Of the, but at the end of the day, you can't help but respect the guy and actually admire what he's done. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with it. You, you want to hate Tom Brady and all for, for all the right reasons too. <laughs> sure. Like, like he's handsome. He's got the, he's got the supermodel wife. He's a winner. He plays on the best team year in and year out. You want to hate the guy, but you, but you can't help but respect him and admire what he's done and how he's built a, a, a career and a brand for himself. TV yep. 12, you know, that, that brand's going to carry on for a long time. Yeah. You know, uh, the NFL certainly won't be the same without Tom Brady, uh, but I can definitely say that he has made the NFL better uh, with what he was able to accomplish, what he's in inspired others to do. And this new uh, crop of quarterbacks, uh, we'll take what he uh, and others, you know, were able to accomplish and build upon that. It's exciting uh, times here in the league, Mitch. Um, let's transition into some of the NFL coaching hires. We have what, like nine vacancies in the NFL, not, you know, this season. Four have now been filled in the last week since we uh, passed recorded. So we're going to go over those uh, and then, and then just kind of maybe update a bit on, on the rest of the openings there as we still have quite a bit going on. Uh, but, Mitch, I wanted to start with your team, the Chicago Bears, uh, who have filled their head coaching uh, position. Mitch, they, they moved on from the head coach of the GM, right? Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy. They fired Matt and Ryan. And who did they hire, Mitch? 
Matt and Ryan. Ryan Poles, the, it was the new GM. He comes from Kansas City. Uh, and the new head coach, uh, Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator from the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he takes over. 51 years old, Eberflus, first time uh, offensive coach. He spent four years as the defensive coordinator under Frank Reich. Uh, they were top 10 in scoring three times. And uh, here we go. New era in Chicago. You tell me, how are you feeling about this? It's been a minute since we've got this news, right? This was sort of like the first one. So, and I know you and I talked off the podcast about it when it happened, but you've had some time to sit with it, think about it, see some of the other hires around the staff. How are you feeling about this? You know, I, at first it was a real face palm, like, oh my God, what are we doing? There were so many other options out there. Why Matt Eberflus? Not only that, Chicago's already a really good defensive team. Why are we bringing in a defensive, a defensive-minded guy when we we need an offensive-minded guy to help lead that offense at, with a bunch of young talent on it? But as I've kind of sat here and let it digest and think about it a little bit more, I really like the hire. I think it's it's not a splashy one. It's not a sexy hire but it's a very solid, promising hire, Matt Eberflus. He also brought in Alan Williams, um, also from Indianapolis. He was a defensive backs coach over there. Mm -hmm. He brought him in to be the DC. Um, So a a, a familiar working relationship between Eberflus and Williams, um, which I thought was an awesome move. I actually, Alan Williams might be my favorite move of the entire um, coaching, you know, carousel for the Chicago bears. Um, Ryan Poles gets brought in as the GM. Uh, he was the executive player personnel in Kansas City. Um, and then Luke Getze gets brought in as the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach over in uh, Green Bay, which yep. is great because he just worked with Aaron Rodgers. Now you get to work with Justin Fields, a young quarterback that is looking to develop and become a, a, a premier quarterback in this league. So um, I think the Bears, they haven't made any sexy hires, no splashy hires but they all seem really solid and they seem to have a plan with this. And uh, I got to commend them on this. Uh, very solid hires for, for uh, the bears. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's funny. Cause when we, when we first talked about this, I understood sort of where you're at and, and even flus, especially when it was the first name and you thought, well, who else could you have had? Did you jump the gun? Like was Brian Dable not interested? Was Jim Harbaugh not interested? Right. Eric like you the know, enemy, right. There were obviously other names that are, you know, would be very interesting. Uh, but the more that I think about this, the more that I've realized that the flashy names are the ones that never work out. And the ones that we just look at and we're like, eh, those guys usually work out fine. Like I think about Sean McDermott when he was the defensive coordinator in Carolina and he didn't get a ton of interviews in that cycle. Right. It's not like he was a hot, hot candidate, obviously a great DC that Panthers team went to the Super Bowl, but he gets hired in Buffalo because they hired the GM from Carolina. He wasn't a sexy hire and he's turned that organization around, you know, they're a winning franchise now when for many years they were not. And I think of just this past season, right? The splashiest hire Mitch was urban Meyer. And how long did he last? And who was probably the least sexy hire Nick Sirianni. We didn't even know who the hell Nick Sirianni really was. And what did the Eagles do? Well, Go nine and seven to make the playoffs, right? Or nine and eight, and make the playoffs. So he was the only rookie coach to make the playoffs. So I think there's something to like 
if this guy is not that sexy, he's getting this job, he's probably qualified and he's probably going to just be able to be competent. And I am with you on the coordinators because that was a huge thing we talked about was they went with the DC as the head coach. Okay. Who, who's the offensive coordinator though? Because you've got to be able to develop Justin Fields. And if you weren't going to go with the offensive minded head coach, the OC was going to be important. I think Luke, Luke Getze is a good hire. He was interviewing for the Denver head coaching job this cycle, like a couple of weeks ago, right? I mean, he, so this is a guy who has head coach potential already. Uh, he's from this Shanahan LaFleur tree, uh, which is, uh, you know, something that's very popular in the NFL. People, teams want to get their hands on. Uh, and to have spent time in a competent organization with one of the best offenses over the last couple of years up there in Green Bay. Absolutely. I think that's a uh, a great place to go. If you're going to dip into any franchise, right, or any system, like you could go much worse than doing what they've done there. And, uh, you know, the time will tell if if Justin Fields develops as this team's competent, they should be a borderline playoff team next year. I mean, talent-wise and development of the second-year guy, they get a couple more weapons, they shore up the O-line. I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable uh, if, you know, these coaching hire works out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it just uh, – I, I, it was one of those ones that you had to let marinate, and then you kind of start to think about it. You're like, yep, this feels right. This feels right. So, For sure. And exci- I get it excited too, for the were- Bears. Absolutely. And you, I think you should be, and I get it. Cause they were the first ones to go. Right. And when you're, you're, you're like, why did you pick first? And why did you pick it them? Right. You know what? Like, why not all these other people? It's hard to, you know, sort of parse that, but uh, you know, again, we'll see uh, Mitch. Let's talk about Denver. The Broncos moved on from uh, Vic Fangio uh, and they have dipped into the green Bay Packers. Well, as as well, uh, the old Packers offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, is the new head coach of the Broncos. Uh, Hackett worked with the quarterbacks uh, heavily. That's, uh, you know, part of his expertise as an offensive coach. Um, obviously, he's now going to take over as a head coach, first-time head coach here. Uh, you know, Denver's in an interesting spot, right? Have a, gr- have a very solid defense have a lot of solid pieces on offense could be a competent offense. If the quarterback situation can be figured out, we'll see what direction they go in the quarterback situation. The the hire here makes me believe that there's two routes that they're hoping for. Mm-hmm. One is Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah. That's obvious. I mean, you get a guy from green Bay, uh, you know, he hires, uh, I believe their tight ends coach from green Bay is now the OC Justin Outen, yeah. Yes, yeah. You know, so he brings over a Green Bay guy as well. Uh, Green Bay really getting gutted on the offensive coaching staff here this offseason. Yeah. Uh, I know they've promoted internally, I think. But uh, so so they're either hoping that this persuades Aaron Rodgers to select them as his new destination, or here's this offensive coach. He's great at developing quarterbacks. We've got a top 10 pick. We'll take the top guy, and we'll move forward in that direction. And with where they're at in the draft at number nine, it makes a lot of sense to target quarterback. That's probably about the earliest you'd want to go on one, at least at this moment. So they can have their pick at the first or second guy off the board and hope that this head coach along with the staff can develop uh, whoever that is. So uh, in that regards, it makes sense as the hire, right? Because the biggest question for the Broncos is quarterback and ultimately their future depends on finding the solution to that, to that question. 
Yeah, I think after Nathaniel Hackett had that really successful 2019 season, like we've kind of been talking about him or he's been in the talks of being one of those guys that potentially could have a head coaching opportunity. Um, I think this just fits perfect for, and you, and you named it. I a hundred percent agree with you either. It's a long play for Aaron Rodgers, right? Bring in a guy that he knows and trusts two guys that he knows and trusts um, and, you know, finish up his career as a Denver Bronco or go draft number nine and go get a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral, a guy that you trust or a, you know, a guy that you feel good in as being the future of that offense. Um, and it, it just feels like a, a, a nice hire. It, it's not, again, like kind of like the Matt Everflus thing. It's, it's not super splashy, but it's, it's fitting almost. Like they just kind of needed that. that we, we know what the Denver Broncos defense is. It, it's good. It's right. very good. Um, the offense was the question mark and they bring in an offensive minded guy to kind of almost solve that thing and maybe potentially bring in Aaron Rodgers and, 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 you know, bring him into the fold. So right. uh, I think good hires for Denver. Um, and we're starting to see almost kind of a trend here where OCs or DCs get hired as head coaches and they kind of bring along the guys that have been under them. For sure. Um, uh, over the last few years. Yeah. And I, and, and I don't know who they hired or if they've hired a defensive coordinator yet, I'd be curious there uh, who, you know, who they bring in to do that side of the ball. But uh, I mean, certainly I think it's a good uh, spot again, kind of like we were talking about with the bears in regards to Luke Getze, uh, you know, poaching from competent organizations is the best way to go about this. Right. If you're going to do that. Right. I mean, like, cause they develop well. And if they've been taught by good head coaches, usually those guys can turn out pretty good or at least be fairly competent. So you could go worse places than to start, you know, stealing from the Packers coaching staff because uh, they have shown to be very successful. They've been one of the best teams in the NFL over the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, obviously as a new first time head coach, we'll see how he does. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, exciting, I think, for Broncos and Broncos fans. Uh, Mitch, the New York Giants have a new head coach. Uh, Brian Dable uh, gets the job, the offensive coordinator from the Buffalo Bills. He's 46 years old. He's been the OC. He's guided top five offenses in Buffalo over the past two seasons. Obviously been a huge part of the development of Josh Allen. The Giants hired... Bill's assistant GM, Joe Shoon, to be their GM. And uh, obviously, he gets his guy from Buffalo to come over to New York to be uh, the the new uh, head coach. And, you know, this is a guy who's interviewed. He, this was a guy who was going to interview a lot of other places. The Giants kind of got him before he was able to get to Miami one more time. The Saints were going to be interested. There were a lot of teams that were going to uh, interview Brian Dable. He has been interviewed a number of times in the last couple years as a potential head coaching candidate. I know uh, a big one last year was the Chargers, right? I know he was a big, he was a finalist there. Uh, so this is a guy we knew was going to get a job. I would, I would be surprised that he chose the Giants if it weren't for the GM that they hired, right? That aspect of it makes sense, and clearly he trusts that GM to build a good team and give him the tools to succeed. Because I think New York is a place you can succeed. If the front off, you know, if, if your front office is on board, you can succeed anywhere. Clearly Dable feels comfortable 
with the front office in New York now. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with Daniel Jones. If they let Dable take a crack at Daniel Jones for a year, they can before they have to extend him. They can take a look at him this next year. They don't like any of these rookie QBs and see how that goes and then pivot next year if they need. They're kind of in an interesting spot. And if you're Giants fans, I think you're excited and you're probably hopeful that they let him see what he could do with uh, with Daniel Jones. Yeah, you just yeah, you just mentioned it. You know, Brian Dable groomed Josh Allen into what he is today. Um, and maybe they're willing to take a crack at Brian Dable. Can you fix Daniel Jones, essentially? Yeah. He, he may show up into the office and go, no, there's no fixing this guy. We, we got to get someone else, which seems perfectly logical because Daniel Jones is an absolute dumpster fire. He hasn't um, shown very much to feel confident in, right? Um, but, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it really, it, it seemed like a good fit for him because Joe Shun was there. Right. Uh, if Dave Gettleman was still the GM there, you're probably not landing Brian Dable because no. Dave Gettleman. Yeah. Dave Gettleman is a cancer to any organization that he goes to. Um, and that became very evident in what he did in New York. Right. Um, so, you know, again, this was one of the splashy hires. Brian Dable was a splashy hire in my mind. Uh, a guy that's been highly touted for the last couple of years, what he's been able to do in Buffalo. Great hire for New York. And hopefully it's a turnaround. It's the beginning of a turnaround for the giants because they have been pretty irrelevant for the last six, seven years. I mean, honestly, the last like 20 something years besides like two Super Bowl runs, right? Improbable Super Bowl runs at that. You know what I mean? They like won they've one had, from a wild card. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've had stretches of success, you know, but I mean, not significant stretches of success, see, successful seasons, but mixed in with a lot of mediocrity. And, uh, you know, again, like we talked about with, with in the past, they go to Buffalo. They've seen what that franchise is able to do, turn itself around with with good hires and they poach two of the most prominent names from that organization, the assistant general manager, the offensive coordinator. And they're like, you're our guys do that here. I, I don't think that's a bad way to go about this. Uh, obviously I, you know, I think most people believe Brian Dable is going to be a good head coach. He was clearly highly touted, uh, highly regarded. And uh, as a, as a young offensive mind, we'll see what they, where they go. I, I the quarterbacks uh, is, is the obvious one. And, and they have two first round picks. They have two top 10 picks. So they could take a shot at a quarterback in this draft, or they could build their roster with two blue chip players. They can run Daniel Jones out one more time, see what Dable does with them. If they suck, it's a great quarterback class next year because you have Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, and who knows who else emerges in that. There's always a couple more names, and those guys look like they're going to be guys worthy in the top five, right? And so... If, if that's the scenario and you say, well, we won four or five games, it is what it is. Daniel Jones, thanks. Thanks. See you later. And we will we'll go get our guy. Uh, that's not a bad situation. If he fixes Daniel Jones or develops it in a way that you could go that direction. So I think they're in a good spot now. Uh, they can't really do much else other than that. They don't have the money to like bring in a Russell Wilson. Really? Uh, they'd have to no. cut a lot of salary other places and really gut the roster in a lot of ways. But uh, this, this is a good way to turn your franchise around in my opinion. And I think the giants are going to be okay in a long-term sense, like next season. I don't know, <laughs> probably not going to be mean, great I, still, but, uh, you know, you would feel obviously more confident about the future. Yeah. I mean, if Brian Dable figures out the quarterback situation, he finally has a running back he can work with. 
I mean, he didn't have that really in that Buffalo. No. So now he has a Saquon Barkley back there. So that is a great point, Mitch. I like that. Um, the final, the final domino to fall so far, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, obviously John Gruden resigned on October 11th, interim head coach, uh, Rich Bisaccia took over, uh, he was promoted from special teams coordinator. They got to the playoffs um, and he did interview for this job. In fact, I do know he's also interviewing for the Miami job, which I thought was great. I love that Miami's giving him a look, you know, cause clearly what he did at the end uh, for the Vegas Raiders was successful, but uh, they have not decided to go with Bisaccia. Uh, they're bringing in Josh McDaniels from the uh, new England Patriots uh, offensive coordinator, one time uh, head coach of the Denver Broncos head coach of the Indianapolis Colts for like what, six hours. Um, and, uh, or maybe it was, maybe it was like a full day, I think before he backed out. Um, he's now getting a second head coaching opportunity here in Las Vegas. Uh, this again, you've seen a pattern here, folks. Uh, you're going to see it again. The Patriots hired personnel exec Dave Ziegler as their GM. He comes from new England and in his interview to be the GM, Mark Davis. And then they asked, who could you, who would you like to bring in as a head coach, right? Who's your ideal? Like, you know, you're the GM. Who would you suggest? And he said, Josh McDaniels and Mark Davis said, well, I don't think he's available. And Zeke Ziegler said, yes, he is. I can get him. And he did. And so clearly this is somebody that the Raiders didn't think they would be in the conversation for. So, um, here he here he is now second opportunity in in Las Vegas. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I know there's the jokes of he's gonna walk, just <laughs> right, he's gonna walk, right. but he's not gonna walk. Like no. no, he he's got his guy in the front office. This is exactly what the Raiders needed. They needed a fresh new face. I think this is what Josh Daniels needed. What the Raiders want to do or what they're built to do offensively fits kind of what Josh Daniels did in New England, right? He has a guy that that can throw the ball, but has been limited with the with the the guys that he's bat, had around him. He can work with that. They have a strong run game when Josh Jacobs is healthy and when the offensive line is playing to its full potential. Um, this seems like a great second chance for Josh McDaniels. You and I talked about this off air about when Josh McDaniels took that first head coaching job in Denver. It seemed like it was just too early. He was, he was young, He's 32 years old. He was exceptionally young. He was kind of almost still unproven. He didn't have much of a track record behind him. Um, and he was also, he, and people forget, might forget this. He was also given like GM responsibility. So he had roster control as well as head coaching responsibilities as a 32 year old first time head coach. And you know what? They're you just, know? And it didn't work been, out there. You can count on maybe three <laughs> like, fingers. You can count on maybe three fingers the amount of times that that's worked out in NFL history. Um, and I think that he was just, he was tabbed too early to take on a head coaching role. Now he's went back to new England. He's played under or He's coached with and under the greatest head coach of all time. And he is able to take a lot more wisdom and knowledge back with him out on his own and a new head coaching role. I really like this hire for the Las Vegas Raiders. I think it's a great hire for him, and they have the right guy in the front office to work with him and and maybe get things done in Las Vegas. Yeah, honestly, I, I'm right there with you, Mitch. And I, and I know that things in Denver went 
like horribly, really horribly for McDaniels. They went south it was, quick. It was yeah. really, it was really not good. Uh, and then I, you know, the history backing out in Indianapolis, not good. But uh, as you said, I mean, he's learned. It's been a long time since that, right? And clearly, we know what he can do as an offensive mind, as an offensive coach. I think what really puts him over the top here is this past season with Mac Jones. Right. Uh, you know, when you're successful with the greatest quarterback of all time, you know, how impressive is that? Right. How how much credit do you get as the offensive coordinator when Tom Brady's around? But what he was able to do in 2020 with Cam Newton uh, and, you know, whoever else had to play when he was injured and still having a competent offense at that time and then taking a rookie quarterback this season and a bunch of new pieces. I mean, their whole receiving core was brand new and you know, churning out a successful run game and changing your scheme to fit that guy and having a successful offense and proving you could do that. Uh, I, you know, I think kind of puts them over the top here. And I think this should, I think Raiders fans should be excited about this. I think this is a very, I think this is going to be a very good hire and uh, the baggage. Yes, I get that, but uh, I'd rather take an opportunity. I would rather take a second time head coach who's gone through it and didn't succeed than a first time head coach. I think I would because yeah. you're going to be confident. At least that guy knows how to get back up. Right. Cause he's, he's, he's fallen, right. He's learned those hard lessons. The first time coach has to go through it. Uh, I think McDaniels the second time around is going to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred so. percent. All right, so that's uh, that's it for the head coaching hires. The guys who have uh, been uh, the jobs that have been filled so far. Uh, before we fully wrap this up, I, uh, we are going to mention the open head coach jobs and maybe some of the interviews or candidates there. So starting with the New Orleans Saints, uh, Sean Payton uh, obviously uh, resigned, stepped away uh, last week. We talked about that here on the podcast. Uh, some of the names there, uh, obviously the internal candidates, uh, Pete Carmichael, the OC, Dennis Allen, the DC there. Uh, Bucks offensive coordinator Brian Byron Lefwich is a candidate. Uh Brian Flores is a candidate, former Miami Dolphins head coach, and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. Uh, so those are some of the names there. Not a lot there. Obviously, this is just a week. This job has been open, so uh, not very far in this process. A team that we are very far in the process and nothing has really happened yet is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they fired Urban Meyer on December 16th, and they've still not hired a head coach. And they've interviewed literally everybody. Mitch, here's the list. Doug Peterson. Jim Caldwell, Kellen Moore, Byron Lefwich, Todd Bowles, Alabama offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien, Daryl Bevel, and Vic Fangio. And they've really got nowhere closer to hiring anybody. It seems like they've pivoted at times into what Trent Balky, the GM, wanted, what the owner Shad Khan wants. Uh kind of a it's kind of honestly a mess in jacksonville i don't like they need to hire somebody it's like what are we waiting for well just hire byron Leftwich already i mean i, I mean why are we the guy this? he was literally your freaking quarterback could we just he was the guy ready? so yes. yeah that one makes too much sense there he has been interviewed uh the four that have been act that formally interviewed doug peterson jim caldwell byron Leftwich, todd bowles any of those i think it actually be really competent hires and i think jacksonville just needs a competent guy right don't make don't make another risk at an urban meyer go get a better you know experienced coach 
an experienced guy. I think Byron Leftwich, if you're going to reach at somebody new, would be the best way to go there. Um, but they need to get something done because, yeah, I, I, like you look at the dates on that. It's like, where, what have they been doing for the past couple months? <laughs> like, somebody go do your job. Um, we've got the uh, Minnesota Vikings. I uh, moved on from Mike Zimmer after eight seasons. Uh, they are reportedly, they brought in Jim Harbaugh, right? Michigan head coach today. Uh, reports are that Harbaugh is returning to Michigan. He reportedly had nine hours with them today and they did not offer him the job. So he goes back to Ann Arbor. Uh, will be staying with the Wolverines, but he was one of their finalists alongside uh Rams offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, uh, Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator uh, from the New York Giants and Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator from the Rams. So both the Rams uh, coordinators there. It seems reports are saying I saw Tom uh, Pelissero uh, from the NFL report uh, that Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator, is the is the choice here. They'd obviously have to wait till after the Super Bowl to hire him uh, as the Rams are going to be playing in that, uh, but uh, that will be something to monitor there. Uh, but it seems like they've sort of at least uh, narrowed in their focus there. Miami Dolphins still an available uh, head coaching opportunity right now. One of the, uh, the two finalists right now look like Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator from Dallas and Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator uh, from the San Francisco 49ers who were just eliminated this past week. Uh, so perhaps we see some headway there. And then the Houston Texans, uh, who right now, they legitimately look like they might hire former quarterback Josh McCown, who has zero NFL coaching experience. I mean, he was an NFL quarterback, but like, that's it. Uh, Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon is a heavy finalist for this. Uh, Rams Kevin O'Connell, again, uh, one of the names there. Uh, they also interviewed Heinz Ward, who is the wide receivers coach for Florida Atlantic University right now. So that's where the Texans are at. So what are the Texans and Jags doing, Mitch? I don't understand. Well, the Jags just need to sign Byron Leftwich. Right. And the, the Texans, um, Josh McCown coached high school football like one time while he was not NFL roster, yep. not even as a head coach. It was like a, a offensive assistant for a high school yep. and Heinz Ward, you know, he's a college position coach. You don't hire that guy. I don't care if he played in the NFL. Like, I don't care if he's a hall of famer. Like, you know, what are we doing? I mean, you know? if I was a, if I was a third string long snapper in the NFL, would I get a head coaching opportunity? Right. Of course. Like, not. what what are we doing here? And it, the obvious choice here for for the Houston Texans or the Saints probably is Brian Flores. Yes, but um, we're going to talk about that right now because uh, Brian Flores has been a candidate in many of these. He's actually uh, a candidate in this Texans job. Uh, but news came out today: uh, Brian Flores. Uh, has filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL and some of its teams, including the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, and the Denver Broncos. And this lawsuit has to do with the hiring practices of the NFL and, uh, you know, sort of at the forefront of that, the Rooney Rule. Uh, and for those that aren't familiar, the Rooney Rule uh, requires organizations, teams to interview uh, specific amounts, uh, specific numbers of minorities for, I believe, I believe it's minimum of two. It's now as of 2020, it's a minimum of two minority coaches for their head coaching opportunities. Uh, 
one minority for any coordinator position and uh, a minority for uh, front office positions, high-ranking executive positions. Those are all rules uh, the NFL is given. There's draft compensation involved in that if you do hire uh, you know, a minority person for one of those jobs. Uh, and it's something that the NFL instituted to give people those opportunities. Uh, and what Brian Flores is alleging in this lawsuit is that it's not working. Uh, that you know, guys like him and other minority coaches in the league are being used to check a box but aren't truly being considered. Uh, and there's some allegations against specific teams. Uh, and, and at the forefront of that is the New York Giants, uh, who he just interviewed this uh, past week before they hired Brian Dable. Uh, the, what, what makes this all come to bout, which is just the wildest part about this, Mitch, is that all this comes to pass because – an old man didn't know who he doesn't know how to use technology and texted the wrong Brian. And that old man was Bill Belichick, uh, who might be one of the greatest coaches like in the NFL history, uh, texted the wrong <laughs> Brian, thought he was texting Brian Dable, texted Brian Flores to congratulate him <laughs> on being the guy in New York. And Brian Flores in this text exchange was surprised. He had not interviewed with the Giants yet. In fact, three days after this text uh, exchange, he formally interviewed for the job. But apparently on that Monday, they had already zeroed in on Brian Dable. Bill Belichick had heard that, had been told that, uh, congratulated the wrong person for that, and revealed to Brian Flores that they didn't have any intention on hiring him and that the interview was all going to be a waste for him. And for the team, you know, naturally. And so uh, there's allegations. There's allegations against the Broncos uh, for the way that they interviewed. Uh, and the way I think the phrase, um, I, I forget the phrase that was used in the actual language of the lawsuit. It's like a, like a hoax, a hoax interview or something like that. Essentially that these were fake interviews. They were just for the number, just to satisfy the quota, uh, but they were never, um, you know, going to be considered. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. This just came out today, right? And Brian Flores in a statement uh, said, hey, listen, you know, I have a God-given talent to coach football. And I understand that by doing this, I may not ever be able to do that again. Uh, but, you know, I am okay with that because this is what needs to be done. And um, so we'll see where this goes from here. Uh, one more detail before I get your thoughts on this. Uh, that I think is important to recognize in all this. The fact that it's a class action lawsuit uh, is important. It means that other people can join this lawsuit, meaning if there are other coaches or personnel in the league that have similar stories, similar experiences, similar sentiments to Brian Flores and can corroborate his experience, his story, his allegations, that they can be added to this. And if Brian Flores is doing this, my guess is that he expects others to. So there may be much more that we know about this in the coming weeks and months and perhaps even years uh, as this just came out today. Uh, but that's more or less where this stands. We'll get into another aspect of this, but I want to ask you about this first, uh, this idea of the Rooney rule, uh, the question here of whether it's working and, and the position that Brian Flores has now put the NFL in. You and I have talked before. And we won't go into as much depth, I don't think, as we as we uh, talked about um, before the podcast started. 
I completely understand his inju- you know his injunctions against the Miami Dolphins, right? He was bribed to lose games. Yeah, that was another that, aspect they, of Washington had, we haven't they, talked they about had, yet. But yes, yeah, the GM had basically said the look, owner, the owner, I, the Steven owner, had, Stephen Ross had said, "I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars per loss, just so we can get a better draft pick." And Brian Flores is like, "Well, no." And Brian Flores, if you don't anything about Brian Flores. He's not wired that way. Right. He's not wired to lose. This guy is a winner. We saw what he did with a subpar football team for the last three years. He's a winner. Um, when it comes to the Giants thing, you know, there it, it gets murky. You know, did they decide Brian Dable was their guy before they had the opportunity to to interview Brian Flores? And thus they had to go, oh, well, crap, we're not going to meet the, the Rooney rule if we don't interview Brian Flores. So now we have to interview him, and it's, now it's a formality. Now they have to get it done just to check a box, like you said. And to me, that just says that this rule isn't working. It's not working. And, um, you know, it, Brian Flores has every right to feel the way that he does. I'm not telling him that he doesn't have – a, a right to feel the way that he does. He he absolutely does. But the rule that we have just isn't working. And there needs to be a I'm not I'm not claiming for affirmative action or anything like that within the NFL, but I think that there there needs to be something to where that maybe all of the candidates need to be interviewed. And then there needs to be a deadline that you need to have them all interviewed by and there needs to be a deadline or a, a, a a start date that you can start hiring. Maybe. I don't know what the answer is, but um, I don't think I, neither I, of us I, have to know the answer, to be honest. We're certainly we not qualified for it. Uh, the, but uh, all Brian I know Flores is that doesn't have the all, answer either. All, no, I, he doesn't either. But I think that the Rooney rule just isn't working. If you really want to accomplish more black head coaches, in the NFL, there's one right yep. now. It's Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and I think that's like at the core of this, that's what this is about. And that's the statement that Brian Flores is making. And I think it didn't take Brian Flores filing a lawsuit against the NFL to recognize that the Rooney rule wasn't working, right? The numbers bear it out. Like if this, the idea behind this was to get more minority coaches opportunities, qualified people, by the way, qualified people opportunities, then it's not working. If there's one black head coach in a league that's 70% black, if there's six black GMs and two of those guys just got hired in the past couple of weeks. The numbers like prove out black head coaches on average, get two and a half years in a, in a, in a job before they get fired. White head coaches get three and a half. I mean, we can look at the examples. We know the people were familiar with Jim Caldwell and what happened with him in Detroit, Steve Wilkes in Arizona, Steve Wilkes, his name is even mentioned. And then in that situation is even mentioned uh, in this lawsuit. Uh, and it begs the question, like, what is the NFL going to do about this? And that's what this is. That's what this is about. It's Brian Flores has forced the NFL's hand and the NFL will try to settle this lawsuit and not have to address any of this. But that's not how this is going to well. The NFL will have to change something, how they actually change, how they actually enforce that change, culturally change the way that this hiring process has always worked. And act and actually make a difference. Time will tell. We'll see. But 
essentially Brian Flores is forcing the NFL hand. And it's, and it's about time that somebody did. And it's unfortunate for Brian Flores that he has to be the guy to fall on the sword here uh, and, and, and take the fall, you know, be the martyr for this essentially. And we'll see how this affects any of his future coaching opportunities as he alluded to, but um, it, you know, this is not going to go away. This is going to be uh, something that persists over the off season and, and in the coming years as this comes about. And uh, you know, we'll see what the NFL has to say about this and, and what they will do about it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I still want to be, I still want the process to be the best guy for the job gets the you know best job for the course. best guy for the job gets the higher, but you know, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, man. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. I mean, listen, like I said, I don't think, uh, I don't think any of us, I don't think anybody needs to have the right answer right now, but I think something needs to happen and something needs to change. And that's uh, clearly that how Brian Flores feels. And that's uh, part of uh, his action today. So obviously we'll, uh, as more of this comes out and uh, you know, any more news about this, we'll continue to update as we always do on all news things, but uh, Mitch, we've got to pivot to some more NFL news. Uh, this was something I was kind of excited for. I'm not going to lie. The, the Washington football team today announced their new identity. They had teased about a month ago that on 2-2-22, they were going to sort of reveal this. And uh, here we go. A new era in Washington as the Washington Commanders. And uh, Mitch, the Commanders are out. The logo is a modern-looking W. That's it. It's just a W. And then they have, like, another secondary logo that's just their name, Washington Commanders. Um they have a uh, a cool kind of looking em- emblem, a little seal, if you will, like, uh, uh, you know, the sort of design uh, that I think is interesting. I actually would have preferred if they just went that route instead of the W. Uh, but they've done this. They've revealed some jerseys. Um, I'm going to give you the description of the jerseys real quick, then I'll get your thoughts. Uh, the main jersey, there's an all burgundy. It's a burgundy helmet with the, with the yellow W. And then you have burgundy tops and, and, and bottoms there, yellow lettering. That's straightforward. Uh, the white jersey has a gradient red uh, number, which uh, also doesn't match the same red as the helmet. Uh, burgundy helmet still white and white. And then there's an all black, uh, which, including a black helmet that instead of having the big W on the side, it has a W right on the crest, right on the top. Looks like somebody got a sticker on their forehead. Uh, and an all black yellow outline. That's kind of the Jersey feel. That's that's kind of the basic information. It's where we're at. The Washington Commanders, Mitch, you've been stewing. You've been steaming. How you feeling? This is the worst name they could have possibly picked. It's the worst. Dallin, what do you think they're going to shorten that to? The commies. It's great. The, the commies. <laughs> and they're red and yellow. Yeah, it's great. This is America, damn it. <laughs> Why the hell would you pick a team name that's going to get shortened to the commies? Are you kidding me? This is great for the memes. memes. No, I saw it. I thought it had to be a joke. I thought it had to be a joke. But no, it's for real. They're the commanders. They're really, they really are. Which is fine. But let's go, commanders. That sucks. Yeah. That's awful. Let's go, commies. That. That is absurd. In the nation's capital, in the nation's capital, we are going to have a team that is going to be abbreviated to the commies. 
The worst name they could have picked. Worst name they had the Red Wolves, which I kind of liked. They had the Red Tails, which I kind of liked. No, I mean, some of those weren't actual names. I know the Wolves, they actually, for copyright reasons, couldn't use Red Wolves. That was actually uh, kind of nixed early on for copyright reasons. Uh, but they had some more, like, you know, the idea of the commanders, the commander in chief, they're in the D, the DC admirals, like area. That, admirals would have been better. Sense. Right. But there were other generals as one. I didn't love that. Uh, there was literally the Washington presidents. Do you think that would have been better? No, but no, but the commies is the, the commies is the worst pick. The commanders. Is so the there's worst ones pick. that could have been worse, but this is the worst still. Well, just think about what it's going to get shortened to. I understand. Listen, I understand. You have to have the, you have to have the foresight to know. Right. Right. And look at your color scheme. It's red and yellow. Literally communist colors. Yeah, that's the I mean, Soviet have, Union flag right there. You, know, you have to know that. It's Be uh, self-aware. Oh, my God, it's terrible. My, my first thought was, and it was a very similar reaction than I had to the Cleveland Guardians, which is just that it was just bleh. Like, the Commanders was not inspiring by any means. The the fact that they didn't go with like an actual logo of anything, they just did like a freaking W. That's it. Like, where is this, what's the identity of this? Commanders, a pl- plain ass jerseys. The jerseys are plain. The jerseys suck. The black actually. looks like the Hawks jersey. I sent you this. That was my very first thought. I looked at the all black jersey and the all black jersey. You know, it has yellow numbers with a red outline. It's all black. And my first thought, I was like, that looks like the Atlanta Hawks have a jersey that looks just like that. I sent Mitch the screenshot. It looks the, like they just copied it. It's literally the same thing. The gradient. It was the laziest, worst yes, pick I've ever seen. The gradient red on the white jersey for this team looks just like uh, the Atlanta Falcons jerseys but they're not supposed to be even the same color of red. Like they're different. Like, what are we doing? The only Jersey that looks good is the all burgundy. Other than that, these are, these are bad. These are bad and it's uninspiring and it's just bleh. And we should just expect this, right? We shouldn't get our hopes up. Uh, We've been disappointed too many times to get our hopes up now that teams are going to actually come up with cool identities and brands, but it is just a bummer. Because there were so many, like there are, there are much more difficult situations to be put in to rename a team than the Washington football team was in. They had a lot of different ways to go with this, a lot of ways to make this really cool. And they just fell flat and it's disappointing. I'd be disappointed if I was a Commanders fan, if I was a commie. I mean, you have Ron Rivera from a military family. You could just ask him, hey, Military, you know, if you want to go military, what's some inspiring names that you would name a football team for? And commanders probably wouldn't be on this list because Ron Rivera has the foresight to know that's going to be short in the commie. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Admirals would have been a better pick. I would have liked Admirals. I would have liked the Admirals. That would have been cool. And you could have done the same sort of color scheme, but you could have done a cooler logo. Remember and, we had you know. we had we had NFL Europe. We had an Admirals over there. So like you know, just I mean Amsterdam, right? Amsterdam, Amsterdam Admirals. Yeah, Hells yeah. We, we had we there there was actually some history behind that name, but Commanders. Come on. Yeah, it's this bad. A, it's a weak pick. It's disappointing. It's weak, and it, you know what? I'm offended by it. I'm offended by it because I live in America, 
And I don't. I mean, communist. they didn't name themselves the communists or commies. They named themselves they the commanders. Will be, they will be so. the most hated team in America because of what you can shorten their name to. I don't think I'm that's call, the case. I'm calling. I really right don't. Now. Okay. I'm calling that All right, right now. We'll see. We'll see if you're right. Uh, Mitch, that's. That's it for our NFL news here, but we've got I didn't a couple. Mean to come on that strong, yo, l- hey, listen, I I like it. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. It's certainly not been a great response to this, right? I don't think anyone's particularly excited about this new identity for the team, and uh, it, again, it's just it's just another case of these professional franchises just doing the bare minimum, right? You know, doing the bare minimum uh, and not really doing anything interesting. Uh, Mitch, we're going to talk about the NBA briefly. The NBA announced their uh, NBA All-Star starters. Uh, The full rosters are actually announced tomorrow night on February 3rd. So we'll talk about that next week here on the podcast. Uh, But the starters, there's there's some interesting things here. So let's start in the East. The East was pretty chalk. Kevin Durant, the captain there in the East for the the Brooklyn Nets and alongside him, Joel Embiid, five-time All-Star. Uh, Trey Young, two-time All-Star here. He gets a start. Big, I love that for Trey. Uh, Giannis, the MVP, six-time All-Star there. And then DeMar DeRozan, uh, five-time All-Star here, gets the start. The Bulls have been one of the best stories in the NBA, and right now DeRozan is leading them 26 points a game, 4.8 assists, five rebounds. Uh, DeMar getting some love here in the East. This is why stars wanted to leave the West because you can't even make all-star games in the West if you're DeMar DeRozan. If you go to the East, you get to be the freaking starter. You know, what a life. I don't have any gripes with any of those. Picks. No, I mean, those are pretty chalk. And again, the rosters will get more. Uh, once we get the full rosters, we get into that. The, the West is really where... Uh, things got interesting. LeBron is a captain in the West. No surprise there. He's joined by Steph Curry, uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, first time all-star and first time starter, Ja Morant, well-deserved here. I mean, Ja is having an incredible season, 25.8 points per game, 6.9 assists, 5.9 rebounds, uh, leading a Grizzlies team who I believe is like top four or five right now in the West. Uh, they're doing really well. Uh, and then the biggest surprise and the biggest gripe is Andrew Wiggins, the forward for the Warriors, who's averaging 18 points a game, two assists and four rebounds. He's the first time all-star. He's never been an all-star in his eight-year career. And not only is he an all-star, but he's the starter for the He's the starter. What like what this comes down to is the fan vote is too much weight is too weighted in this process. And the fans voted him in as a starter and he got all-star votes from his peers and from the media. Cause he's had a good season. It could be an all-star reserve, but it boosted him up to being ahead of Draymond green, Rudy Gobert, uh, Paul George. Those are like the next three names under him. And all three of those guys are way more deserving to be all-star starters than Andrew Wiggins. Like, what are we doing? I mean, why aren't we playing small and just getting Donovan Mitchell in there? I, yeah. I mean, why do we even need position? I mean, that's a great, I mean, first off, we don't need positions as starters. What are we doing positions in the NBA anymore with the all-star teams and with all NBA teams? Guys don't play positions, right? Like LeBron James, tell me what position he plays. Uh, like everything to guard. I mean, everything, 
right? So how do you qualify him, right? What are we doing anymore when Giannis and LeBron and KD are at, like, why are we even caring about positions? Yes, it makes zero sense. And it's the only reason why, it's the only reason why Wiggins is a starter because he's forced in there as a forward. And another guard, like you said, like a Donovan Mitchell, like a Devin Booker would have easily taken that place and been way more deserving of being a starter. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. I mean, congrats to Andrew Wiggins, right? I don't want to disrespect the man. He's having a good season. He's on a good team. Could be an all-star. Maybe should be an all-star. He's an all-star starter. That's just, this, what, are we doing? what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? That's wild. All right. He's going to be a forgotten all-star one day. That's all I'm saying. He's going to be a forgotten <laughs> all-star. Like, when you make the all-star game and you immediately know that guy is going to be a forgotten all-star, you know how bad it is. That's all I'm saying. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, to wrap up the news here, we got to talk about the Kraken, Mitch, because our boys, they were one and two uh, in the last week that we had talked about at four games, a big road trip ahead this week, right? They lost to Nashville last Wednesday when we recorded and then a four game road trip. And we said, Mitch, what did we say? Four game road trip on the East Coast. Got to win four games. Got to win two of them, right? Two and two. We're feeling good. Right, two and two, we're feeling good coming out of this trip. Kraken get their first overtime win in franchise history against the Penguins. First game of this road trip, uh, they were zero and three in overtime up up until this point in the season. So that was a positive. Dropped to the Rangers and the Bruins three to two in both those. But tonight, Mitch, they beat the Islanders three nothing. A shutout against the Islanders, and just like that, two and two on the trip. That's exactly what we wanted to see. Yeah, big week from big week from the Kraken, man. I mean, look, two and two was definitely the, was the benchmark. They got there. Um, this was a this was a a big week for for the Seattle Kraken, and uh, uh, they met our expectations, Alan. They yes. met our expectations. Yes, and again, I mean, this is still a team that's uh, eighth right in the Pacific division, right? It's, I mean, they're 14, 27 and four, right? But they, they, well, they play in a tough division. I just want to point that out. Absolutely. And again, it's about positive progress. Go on the road, win two out of four. That's good stuff. That's what we like to see from our boys. Uh, we love hockey here. We love the Kraken, you know, release the Kraken. Let's freaking go. We love to see it. Anything else? No, we'll just keep you updated. Yeah, I, I mean, we always do. That's what you guys come here for. Very brief talk about hockey because Mitch and I aren't super competent yet, but we're getting there, guys. Come on. That's hockey talk. That's hockey talk. Yeah, I like that. All right, Mitch, uh, before we wrap up here, uh, we've got to hit our player to know before the NFL draft as we do uh, every week here on the podcast. So to update the people on the names that we've talked about so far, Aiden Hutchinson, Malik Willis, Kayvon Thibodeau, Drake London, Kenneth Walker the third, Tyler Linderbaum, Kenny Two Gloves, Devin Lloyd, Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner, Tyler Algier, Evan Neal, Ike Mekwanu, Trent McDuffie last week. And Mitch, the next player to know before the NFL draft is another wide receiver. We've only talked about one so far, and that's Drake London. Presumed wide receiver one right now, uh, suffered uh, major injury in the season, uh, but will be recovered and just had an awesome season for USC. But the wide receiver we're talking about this week is Arkansas's Traylon Burks. 
Traylon Burke, six foot three, 225 pounds. He's a great combination of size and speed. He had over 1,100 yards and 11 scores this season. Um, what I think intrigues me most about Traylon Burks is the amount of different comps that I've seen for Traylon Burks. Everyone seems to have an opinion on, you know, what this guy is going to be or what he looks like, because he does have, I mean, six foot three, two twenty. That's, that's a big guy, right? It's a big wide receiver that, you know, we see a lot of guys, Devonte Smith is what 170, 180 pounds, right? This guy's got some size to him, but he's also very explosive. Um, today, in fact, uh, Danny Kelly of the ringer now uh, released his first big board. Traylon Burks was the wide receiver one in a very deep wide receiver class. I was very surprised to see that his comp to him is Debo Samuel. And, and the size thing, he, they're very similar size. I get that. His speed, his ability uh, after the catch for Traylon Burks, he was tied for seventh in college football this season in yards after catch, 9.3 uh, per catch this season. So a top 10 guy is in yak yards. So a guy who could get those yak yards. I've also seen comps like Dante Moncrief, which doesn't necessarily make you feel great. I mean, he was a good player, but not a great player. Maybe that's the low end. I've also seen, and the one that I probably agree with the most, and hear me out on here, is DK Metcalf. He's not going to be as flashy as DK, right, in the size, the athleticism, just the look of DK. But he's not a great route runner in a way that DK wasn't a great route runner, and he's had to develop that. And the way that the Seahawks used DK Metcalf early was right where he's at. Quick routes, get him in the ball, give him yak opportunities, or taking shots down the field. And the way that the Seahawks used DK early made him very effective. And I think Traylon Burks can have a similar impact in the league if he's used in a similar way to start his career. He'll develop in the route running aspect when he gets NFL coaching, but his size and his speed, uh, you got to use that in the right way. So a team that lets him play that Debo-like role perhaps and gives him a lot of deep looks down the field and easy routes to run like the Seahawks use DK Metcalf, uh, they're going to find a really successful player and a guy who might be the most impactful in year one in the NFL. So Definitely a name to watch in the wide receiver group. As I mentioned, a deep group of players. Uh, Traylon Burks is uh, definitely one of the most intriguing. That's the player to know uh, this week. If I may, just because I got the opportunity to watch Traylon Burks a couple times this year. Of course. Um, I like the Debo comparison, but if I want to just reduce the DK Metcalf comparison a little bit, I want to compare him to AJ Green. I like that where he gets the yards after the reception, but he's also a big body target, 6'3", 225. He can go up in the red zone if he needs to, but you know what? Give him the ball underneath and he can make things happen. Um, he's not he's not a guy that's going to be a, a target machine, but he's going to be a big deep threat. I like the AJ Green comparison for that, for that reason, at least for me. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Yeah, a very solid wide receiver coming out of the University of Arkansas. Um, a reliable target for them in this offense this last season. And um, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes in that first round, because I think he'll be a first round for uh, sure. First round pick. Yeah. I would say Burks is solidly in the first round, but I mean, there's like, like I said, the ringer has him wide receiver one. I think he's number 11 on the big board. Uh, PFF has him as wide receiver seven and number 28 on their big board, right? Still a first rounder, but I mean, this group of wide receivers is very interesting. We mentioned Drake London dealing with an injury. Jameis Williams, 
uh, Jamison Williams, who would have been, you know, the presumed number one and wide receiver had he not got injured. Uh, you know, where does he factor in the, to this, the Ohio state wide receivers, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. There's questions about both of them. Some of the size there, uh, Jahan Dotson, another guy from Penn state. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wide receivers, a lot of different flavors. Uh, I think Burks fits in the modern NFL size speed, right? Yak ability, deep playability. That's what teams want. I feel like he's going to be a riser in this process. He may not be at the top of boards now, as far as wide receiver one, but I would bet on him over almost anybody other than Drake London to make a real case uh, to be the top guy drafted. So uh, there we go. That's player to know before the NFL draft here. And that's going to wrap it up for the news. So we're going to take a break and hit a mid roll. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to react to the conference championship weekend and get into a little uh, quick look ahead at the Super Bowl. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the sports hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the sports hour and become a permanent part of the show like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys, and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome. Back in to the Sports Hour with Mitch Moe and Dallin. Hope you had a nice little break there. We are going to get into the conference championship game recaps because the greatest NFL postseason of all time has continued. And we're going to start off with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to start off with that game. Um, overtime win for the Bengals, 27-24 over the Chiefs. If you follow the TikTok, you'll know this might be one of the most improbable Super Bowl teams of all time. Could be. I encourage you, I encourage you to check out the TikTok, uh, TikTok at the Sports Hour Guys. Dallin puts together a great piece on there of why maybe the Bengals might be the most improbable Super Bowl team of all time. But let's start with Cincinnati. I think this is the place to start because a team that you and I both were not high on. At the beginning of the year, in fact, we were exceptionally low on because we thought Joe Burrow coming off the ACL injury, the roster around him, they're too young, don't want to be too early. We got fooled before by the Browns. <laughs> We've been fooled before. We don't want to be too early. They're a five, six, seven game winner. Seven games maybe at the best, I think, is what we talked about. Yeah, I think about. I had them maybe seven and ten. And that was like, that would be great. You know, it was like that. But here we are. Joe Exotic, the Tiger King, Joe Shiesty, Joe Burr in the Super Bowl. Yeah. The the Iceman, as I think I want to call him now, because of that drip that he had coming. Oh, my. Oh, I knew they were going to win. The minute I saw that shit, I dead ass was like, they're going to freaking win. He looked like a killer. He looked like he was in the Matrix. He looked like if Ron Weasley ran a prostitution ring. I mean, this guy was wow ripped out. Sorry, that's a little that was a little excessive. <laughs> no, I like it. I'm just descriptive is all. I'm just imagining. 
<laughs> Joe Burrow, though, 23 for 38, 250 and two. Joe Mixon, 21 for 88 on the ground, no touchdowns. T. Higgins showing up. Big game. A guy that you talked about, I think, the week before about showing up. Six for 103, 17 yards of reception. Um, Jamar Chase and Samaje Pirine coming in in clutch in those passing down situations, coming up with the big catches. They each had a touchdown. This is a team of destiny, right? I mean, this just seems like a team that is destined to win a big game when no one else expect them to. No one else expected the Bengals to be here, and yet here they are knocking off the best team in the NFL to get to the game. I mean, th- this this just seems like a team of destiny to me. It, it is one of the most improbable stories uh, that we've ever seen. And again, I won't spoil the TikTok because I did put some time and effort to ask, so please go watch it. But uh, it, this is, I mean, we're talking about year two of Joe Burrow, who played 10 games as a rookie, suffered a, a brutal knee injury, you know, it took a long time to recover, didn't, you know, affected his offseason. This team has a horrible offensive line. They were sacked nine times against the Titans. They were pressured, Mitch. In their three playoff games, they Joe Burrow's been pressured like 60 times in three games. And they've won all three of those games despite the fact it's not like their offensive like now in this game i will say the pass protection much better in this game i thought the offensive line did better in this game but in the postseason and throughout the regular season this has not been a good offensive line and they're winning in spite of it this to me this game is really mitch a tale of two halves the chiefs were up 21 to 3 with fourth and goal on the one you can kick a field goal Go up 24-3. Bengals would get the ball back. You know, time to maybe get some points on the board. But, you know, you've extended your league quite a bit there. Or you can go for it. And the Chiefs decided to go for it. But they didn't run it. They didn't throw it to Travis Kelsey. They, they, they ran a wide receiver screen in the flat to Tyree Kill, who gets bottled up. And Kansas City gets nothing. And Cincinnati goes down the field and Joe Burrow goes down the field and they score a touchdown before the half. And it was 21 to 10 and a half. And all of a sudden it looked like, wow, that was a really big decision right there. How would the Bengals take advantage of that? And they did. They won the game in the second half, Mitch. This defense gave up 21 points in the first half. I mean, arguably almost 28, right? Like, I mean, they were one yard away from scoring another touchdown, right? The Chiefs fumbled the bag. They're not getting points. They were averaging almost nine yards a play in the first half against the Bengals defense. And then the Bengals started dropping eight, rushing three. They started not dropping Trey Hendrickson back into coverage as the down lineman, but rushing him and dropping linebackers instead. And all of a sudden, the passing lanes, the easy dump offs that Patrick Mahomes was getting in the first half was not there. They're wrapping up tackling, getting off on third down and allowing the Bengals offense to get to, to make plays to, you know, take this lead back. And sure enough, they tie it, they go to overtime and they win it. it I, 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 I love Joe Burrow. He deserves all the credit. He's got beautiful. He's, he's a beautiful man. He has great nicknames. But this, to me, is about the defense. The defense doesn't turn that around in the second half. This game is – Joe Burrow doesn't have a, like, doesn't have a well, shot. 
I mean, this Chiefs team looked like that Chiefs team we know, the unstoppable offense we know. And, and you know what? And you talked about it. They started rushing three and dropping off eight. They, what's been the story of drop, of stopping Patrick Mahomes this year? Too deep. Right. Right. It's been too deep or, you know, too over the right. top all year long. What did the Bengals do? They kept too deep, but they played that third DB in the middle mm-hmm. to shut everything down that Pat Mahomes was taking advantage of. And they essentially ran a cover three or a quasi Tampa two, sure. really. To, to shut him down. And you're absolutely right. This was the story. This, this is a story of the defense and how they showed up and shut down the best offense in football when they needed to do it. Um, the, the Bengals had a, a, a fantastic run there at the end. Yeah, I mean, the defense had two interceptions on Patrick Mahomes, including a big one in overtime. Uh, obviously, that helped them seal the win. Uh, they also had four sacks against the Chiefs offensive line. That is good it's a really solid offensive line they invested a lot into it they have two rookies playing that have played great uh they traded for orlando brown right joe tooney i mean this is a much improved offensive line they had four sacks meanwhile the chiefs were only able to get one sack on joe burrow they had like 20 pressures in the game and one sack because joe burrow is one slippery slippery mother effer bro like that play in the was the third or fourth quarter when chris jones had him wrapped up and he just wiggles out of it and picks up a first. It was incredible. It was incredible to watch. And Joe Burrow made plays like that when they needed it. The defense stepped up huge. You mentioned a guy like T Higgins, but a big game. Jamar chase was double covered all game. They stuck two guys on Jamar chase. Cause Jamar chase had 200 receiving yards against the chiefs just a couple weeks ago. And the Chiefs said, we're not going to be beat by Jamar chase again. So somebody else has got to beat us. And T Higgins came up with big play after big play, huge catch in overtime that put them in field goal range that essentially, you know, put them in winning position there. Um, I I know I talked about the run game going into this, thinking that the run game was going to be an important factor and Mixon ended up 21 of 88. A lot of that came towards the end of the game, especially in that overtime. He wasn't super effective all game. In fact, they ran the ball on first down, I think 12 out of 15 times. And they averaged like two and a half yards a carry. I mean, it was awful. They could not run the ball in first down. That didn't make sense. But it did use clock. And it did continue to help that offensive line, which obviously struggles in pass protection, at least get some positive momentum moving forward. So despite the fact that it wasn't as effective as maybe you'd hope, uh, and the numbers may be a little skewed there for Mixon, I, I think it did its job, that run game against Kansas City. And ultimately, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, Getting it done when when they needed and the defense stepping up. Mitch, this was this was a crazy game. Can we talk about overtime? Yeah. Did, did the Chiefs like break the narrative about overtime? Because the Chiefs won the toss. And we just saw this story a week ago, right? With Josh Allen, where he doesn't get the ball back because Patrick Mahomes wins the toss and wins the game. This time around, though, a week later, Patrick Mahomes throws a pick when they have possession and the Bengals win this game without winning the toss. That I mean, this is only the second no. time that's happened now. In the no, playoffs. Yeah, no, but that's that didn't break the narrative because it's still been the vast majority of the time the team that wins the, the coin toss winds up winning the game. So I don't think it broke the narrative, but I mean, if you're a anti let's not change if you're a pro you it, yeah. If you like if, the, if, if you like if you like the overtime system the way it is, then Sure, it works out great in your favor, but it's still a mass majority of the time the guy that, that you know the team that wins the 
coin toss still wins the uh, still wins the overtime possession. So yep. um, I don't think it changed it for me. Um, right. But it, it was one of those instances that one of those rare instances that we've seen over the last few years where um, the you know, the team that didn't win the coin toss went up one in the game. Right. Uh, rookie kicker Evan McPherson came up big again in this game. Shooter! Shooter McPherson, uh, the rookie from Florida, fifth round pick. Uh, obviously had the game winner last week, game winner this week in overtime. Four for four in this game, including hitting a 52 yarder. Uh, he has, he's now tied, right, for the record for the most field goals in it, field goal makes in a postseason. So I believe he would break it, I think, in the Super Bowl if he gets one. Uh, either way, what he's doing as a rookie, he's nine of nine in the playoffs. He hasn't missed in the playoffs. He's automatic. What a, what a boss. Like, holy cow, that's incredible. Kids automatic. Kids automatic. I mean, he's arguably the MVP in this game. You know, I mean, those four kicks, he doesn't miss one. They win. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. He he was on when they needed him, and he has been on all postseason. This Bengals team, we talk about improbable and surprising. There are so many aspects to this that are surprising, Mitch. Zach Taylor was on the hot seat going into this season. If legitimately you... on the hot seat. There would there was like it would not have been a shocking scenario if he got fired at the end of this season because they underperformed again, right? Like he, this, this head coach could have been fired this year. Nobody would have batted an eye and they're in the freaking uh, super bowl out of an AFC that we looked at like freaking juggernauts, right? I mean, the bills, the chiefs, you know, the, like before the season, the Ravens, the Browns, right? All these teams, the Titans, and the Bengals are the team that comes out of this. And in, in just, I still can't. It's been a couple of days since they've done this. And I still can't even like wrap my head around it. Well, like Zach Taylor, I mean, like this does wonders for who he is being recognized as the NFL head coach. Oh, yeah. Because if you're like in an airport and you run into Zach Taylor, but he's not wearing any Bengals gear, would you know that you ran into Zach Taylor? Of course not. That was, no. I mean, now we know who Zach Taylor is. Like this, this, this puts him on the map as far as NFL coaches, NFL personnel in general goes. I mean, um, yeah, this was, this was a great, great game for the Cincinnati Bengals and for Zach Taylor's coaching career. It's a, it's an incredible story. And we'll talk a little bit more at the Bengals as we do a quick look ahead of the Super Bowl. but let's talk about Kansas city here. Um, who hosted the AFC championship. This is their fourth AFC championship game in four years. Uh, and they are now two and two in those games, uh, falling once to Tom Brady and once to Joe Burrow. Uh, Mitch, again, this to me was the story of of two halves. The offense looked unstoppable in the first half. The defense wasn't giving up anything. In the second half, it was a different story. The offense couldn't get anything going, and the defense couldn't hold. Uh, we knew that this defense had weaknesses, uh, and I don't think the defense played particularly bad in this game. It was just in that second half, nothing could get going uh, for this offense. And, you know, I found it curious. The team ran the ball pretty well, really well, in fact. And I wondered down the stretch why they didn't try to run it more. They were content on just letting Patrick Mahomes pass and pass and didn't really get much in the second half. And I know he's Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, don't get me wrong, but. When the run game's working, you're picking up six yards of carry. How do you not just, you know, giving it off and picking up yards when you can? And perhaps if they do that a little bit more in the second half, it doesn't even go to overtime. Yeah, I mean, and that you're leaning on Jerick McKinnon 
for the most for most of the yeah. game. But I mean, he was I mean, good. I mean, him and Clyde Edwards-Helaire were both good when they got carries. That's why I, I wonder mean, he, why they he out carried more. Clyde Ledge, you know, he out carried Ceh by twelve to six. I mean, you, you should be leaning on this guy that you just spent a first round pick on over I mean, the guy. Was good. McKinnon, McKinnon was twelve to sixty five. Yeah, McKinnon's been fine, good all postseason, McKinnon... and 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 Ceh has been hasn't been healthy uh, oh, and no. started to play a little bit more in this. I'm just saying they should have ran the ball. They had 24 rushes to 39 pass attempts. And down the stretch again, when the passing game wasn't working against the drop eight, I don't I don't understand why with the lead you wouldn't run the ball a little bit more. It felt like they relied too heavily on Patrick Mahomes, and he's more than capable of carrying the team when they need it. Uh, but I think the problem sometimes with superstars is you rely too much. It's hard. When do you back off? When do you have when do you have the team? I mean- carry some of the load and take it off that guy's shoulders. It's hard to take away the ball away from Patrick Mahomes down the stretch. But to me, that's one area watching that game where I thought they could have took more time off the clock, put themselves in less detrimental third down and longs and the said third and medium third and shorts. And perhaps they don't even make it to overtime because they can comfortably win this game. I mean, but, but, yeah, I, I mean, hundred percent agree with you, but like, when has that ever been the MO of the Kansas City Chiefs? Like they've always thrown more than they've ran. Sure. As long I'm as not, I'm not Reed saying a, a, even, I'm not saying even a flop Alex Smith, in philosophy or no, but like even when even when times. Alex even when Alex Smith was there, that was their philosophy. So like, you know, it, that's I mean that that's just kind of been their mo. I mean it's it's it, it, it's definitely a head scratcher why they didn't run the ball more. But um, you're right. It, it, you're absolutely right. It, it's hard to take it out of Patrick Mahomes' hands yeah. Um, yeah, when you're I mean, in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd rather lose giving him the the ball and the shot than lose, you know, knowing that you didn't, you know, put Playing the ball too passive. Yeah. in the hands of the best player. But at the again, I mean, and maybe it's easy with hindsight because they didn't lose in this game, but that was one thing that stood out to me from this. Uh, for the Chiefs, you know, I don't take much away from this loss, to be honest, Mitch. Uh, this was a team that, you know, they were 12 and five. They went nine and one down the stretch, but they were three and four to start. This was a flawed team to start the season. This defense was awful. Patrick Mahomes was making uncharac- more mistakes than we were accustomed to seeing. Uh, and in this game, I think we kind of saw all those things come to pass in the second half, right? Multiple turnovers by Patrick Mahomes at costly moments. The defense couldn't hold when they needed them to, despite the fact that they had a lead. Uh, you know, they went to four AFC championship games and two Super Bowls in the last four years. You can't make them all. You can't win them all. They went like, I don't think this is an unsuccessful season for the Chiefs by any means. Uh, I don't think there's like anything drastic to take away from this other than the flaws that we saw this season showed themselves and the top tier talent on this team is unquestionable, but the D but the depth needs to be improved and the other pieces on this team need to be improved. Most notably the defense. Yeah, the defense definitely needs to be improved. Um, it's just uh, can't win them all. I mean, that's really got to chalk it up to you. Can't win them all. I mean, Pat Mahomes has been here now, what? Four, th- four straight years. Four straight years. And he's been there twice, 50%. You, you can't, be mad at, can't be mad at right. that. Can't be mad at that. Yeah, that's where I'm like, it is what it is. Chiefs fans probably sucked. You probably saw your path to the Super Bowl easy. You're hosting the AFC Championship game against the 10-win Bengals. I get it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And the thing is, is they'll probably be right back here next year, right? I mean, like, 
it's just kind of how it is. So uh, it is exciting to see a new team. And obviously Joe Burrow and what he's uh, done is, is sort of meteoric rise, especially this postseason and leading his team to the Super Bowl. Uh, I do want to point something. I do want to point something out sure. that when we talk about greatness in the playoffs, let's not forget this little stat, you know, 10 years down the road about Patrick Mahomes and that the Pats and the Chiefs, uh, never mind, never mind. I got, I got to come up with something different with that. I found it, it I found it, just cut all this out. I found an interesting stat about the Pats and the Chiefs um, that they didn't have the same amount of success as the Chiefs had in the last five years. And it's the exact same um, over the five year stretch from 2011 to 2015. Mm-hmm. The, the chief success was the same as Brady's success from 20 or 2008, 2016. So I just wanted to point that out, but I don't know a way to deliver that. So we'll just, okay. that out. all right. Uh, I'm going to take us to the next game then. Okay. Yeah. All right, Mitch. Well, let's, uh, let's transition over to the NFC championship game, uh, which was another fantastic, uh, another fantastic game this, this weekend. Uh, the Rams, hosting at SoFi Stadium, NFC West showdown, a rematch of week 18. And the Rams, Sean McVay, best Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo had never lost to the Rams as a San Francisco 49er. Uh, Shanahan had had their number. They won both matchups earlier this season. The Niners did, but the Rams got it done and they got it done. Mitch in a comeback, the Niners, they were leading 17 to seven going into the fourth quarter. Rams were down 10 points and, and Matt Stafford and the defense stepped up, made plays and the Rams scored 13 points in the fourth quarter to win this game, uh, sealed it on, on an interception by Jimmy Garoppolo uh, on the final possession for the Niners. Well, when they had about a little under two minutes, an opportunity to, tie a field goal, potentially send it to overtime or, or win it with the touchdown. He throws an interception and the game is over. Uh, Mitch, what are your, what are your thoughts on this game? What are your takeaways from this game and, and sort of how it all played out? The Niners are competitors. I think that they will always be competitors as long as they have a roster that's kind of semi attacked than what they got. As long as Cal Shanahan is at the helm. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well. And I think that that's an easy finger to point. Um, can, but can I qualify also, that a bit? I thought he played really well in the first two or three quarters. He was sure. I mean, you look at the first half and even through the first three quarters, I, he was pretty good. He had two touchdowns, 200 yards. He was effective. Wasn't making mistakes. Fourth quarter, another story, but I do want to give him a bit of credit here because he was good for a, a large portion of this game. Okay, but not when that, it mattered. That's kind of the problem, you know. That's kind of the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the, that is the problem. Not when it mattered. Yeah, he wasn't right. good when it mattered. Um, the interception was just a a dumb interception. Just I mean, bad Jimmy G pick. Why you would know? you not just take the sack? I mean, that was on third down. Like you still have another play to t- to take that. You know, to take that and run with it right. a little bit. Um, they did not run the ball well. Uh, your top five running back in the NFL, Debo Samuel, seven for 26, 3.7 a carry. Um, you know, was much better as a wide receiver, which is what he actually is at four for 72 with a touchdown. Um, 
Look, it, it, like what what it really came down to was the Niners played great defensively for three quarters. They broke down to the fourth. Matthew Stafford did what he did and took advantage of that. And they came back and the and Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well in the fourth quarter. They they were not able to secure and sustain four quarters of football the way the Niners are supposed to win games. Right. Because the Niners win games ugly. They win games defensively. They don't have to be flashy or pretty on offense. And they weren't able to do that for four quarters. The Rams took advantage of them getting soft in the fourth, and that's that's what happened. They wound up winning. Yeah. Let, let's continue to talk about the Niners here and sort of their side of this because there's a large conversation about the quarterback, Jimmy G, the future quarterback. Obviously, the Niners the Niners have made their decision on their future, right? They traded two, like two first round picks or something to move up from 10 to three to draft Trey Lance, right? He is the future. And this game is the reason why the Niners traded up for Trey Lance and the Rams traded for Matt Stafford. This, this, this game is the reason why, because Jimmy Garoppolo and quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo in the NFL like Jared Goff in the NFL can be really good for stretches, stretches of the season, stretches of games. But when you need those guys to win you the game at the end and to be that guy, they don't get it done. And this is the exact same thing that happened to the Niners two years ago in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs. But the defense broke down against a very good offense, right? I mean, listen, the defense, like, you got to give some credit here. Good, Great offense against the Chiefs this past week. A great offense against the Rams, only to give them up one touchdown. They start giving up some points in the, in the fourth quarter, and Jimmy Garoppolo can't lead the competent offense to get the win, to hold them off, to get some points, to get a game-winning drive down the stretch. It happened against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and it's the exact same thing that happened on Sunday against the Rams. The Rams offense put it on, and Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't take advantage. And that is why the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford. And it's why the Niners traded up for Trey Lance. Cause you need a guy who can do more than that. He, who doesn't need to rely on a perfect scenario to get a win. And again, Jimmy Garoppolo played really good for two or three quarters. And I was very impressed. And I was like, he's breaking the narrative. We just talked about how bad he was all week. And here he is doing, doing his Jimmy G thing. Like, you know, I'm pretty good. And then when he needed him, where was he? You know, throwing picks, throwing away the game. And so it is unfortunate for the Niners because this is a roster capable of winning the Super Bowl, right? It was a roster capable of winning the Super Bowl two years ago. And the roster is very much the same. It's, you know, it's, 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 they've lost some players. They've also added some players. They are just an improvement at quarterback away from that, in my opinion. And this game is the perfect example of why it justifies, in my opinion, the trade up for Trey Lance last year. This game justifies that because this is why you take a shot on a Trey Lance because hopefully he could be the guy that wins the game instead of loses you it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. There are a quarterback upgrade away from being a serious Super Bowl contender. Trey Lance to me is a project though. Of 
So and like that's why he didn't play this year, right? Until if you're committing to him, if, like if you're committing to him, you have to maintain at least a similar talent level on your roster to allow for Trey Lance to develop and maybe three years down the road you might be looking at the Super Bowl contention again. So you think it's uh, that long? See, I don't think I mean I so We'll, we'll see what the where they go this offseason, right? Jimmy Garoppolo came out that John Lynch and in China Han didn't, you know, indicate in any sort of way this week that they were going to move on from Jimmy G. But Jimmy Garoppolo did come out and say, I expect to be traded and I hope to be traded to a winner. Uh, so Jimmy G thinks it's over, right? Well, he's on a winner. He's been now. told that way. He's if, just not the guy. Right. If if they cut him before the new league year starts at the beginning of March, they save themselves $20 million on the cap next year. So the new team would have to take on that cap it, but they the Niners wouldn't have to carry that over. So they're going to be incentivized to trade him within the next month or so. So, I mean, they're going to go with Trey Lance next year. And I believe that the team expects to be able to be at the same sort of spot next year. I don't think it's going to take them three years to be back at this level. Now, if Trey Lance doesn't turn out to be the guy, maybe... But if Kyle Shanahan could do what he's done with Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and Jimmy Garoppolo, then I'm, then I trust that guy to get the most out of a guy like Trey Lance and excited to see what year two Trey Lance looks like where he got to sit behind, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo all season and learn from Kyle Shanahan and have the experience of going to the playoffs and going to the NFC championship game and falling short. All that's going to be very valuable, valuable for Trey Lance and, We'll see how this team looks next year. But uh, yeah, again, this was to me just that this is the reason why you got to go make other moves and you can't stick yourself with the Jared Goffs and the Jimmy G's of the world, you know, cause you'll, you'll just fall short. Simple as that. I guess just, I guess just where I'm at is I'm not that confident that Jimmy G will be able to bring him back to this level one year into starting. I'm, I'm just, I'm Trey just Lance, not, you mean, or sorry. Yeah, Trey yeah. Lance. Sure. Right. I mean, should we expect a first-year starter in his second year in the NFL to take a team to the NFC Championship game, even the Niners? Sure, of course not. I, I don't think that'd be the expectation, but I would think that uh, they believe they'd be a playoff team, and I wouldn't be surprised if they won 10 games and were another wildcard team, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. That's high, expect- that's high expectations. Maybe. That's maybe high. it is. Maybe it is, but maybe they should be for the third overall pick on a team that just went to the NFC championship game, you know, it'll be curious. And again, uh, a lot of it's going to depend on the development of Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan has really hitched his career, the rest of his career span in, in San Francisco to this young quarterback and that decision. And we'll see, uh, we'll certainly see how that plays out. Anything more on San Francisco before we talk about the Rams here? No. Okay. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Very very blunt, but no, no, I mean, we talked, we've talked at length at the Niners and again, like, they felt like a team of destiny, right? We didn't expect them to even be here. So to put up the effort that they did, uh, obviously impressive. But again, it just sort of feels like they're in the same spot that they were a couple of years ago, right? Right. Like nothing has really changed, it feels like. Um, for the Rams, impressive comeback here. Come back from 10 in the fourth quarter to win, to win this game. Uh, a game where, where the run game was non-existent. Uh, and this Rams team, the Sean McVay wants to run the ball, right? They're not like a pass at 60 times. That, like they want to run the ball. That Super Bowl team with Todd Gurley was, was founded on running the ball. And even with Matthew Stafford, they want to be able to do that. 
is ineffective with Cam Akers and Sony Michelle. I know Akers got banged up for a little bit, came back in, uh, but they couldn't run the ball at all against the Snyder's defense. So it was all on Stafford. We threw it 45 times, but Stafford got it done down the stretch. And ultimately, what this team has always been about and always has been the key to their success and will be the key to their success in the Super Bowl is their star power. This team needs its stars to shine. It's why they have acquired so many of them. It's why they've mortgaged the future for them. It's why they've gutted the rest of the roster for them. They need their stars to shine. And those stars shine when it mattered. Matthew Stafford had a big game. Cooper Cup, huge game, 11, 142, and two touchdowns. OBJ had nine catches for 113 in this game. He was huge. And down the stretch, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Von Miller getting pressure finally in that fourth quarter on the Niners and causing problems. And Aaron Donald is the reason why they won this game. He's the one who forced that interception at the end of the game from Jimmy Garoppolo and sealed it for them. And it's fitting that the best player in the entire world is the guy who gets them to the Super Bowl. And in a game where the Niners on that offensive line did a fantastic job against this this Rams D-line for almost all of this game until it mattered, and then the Stars came out, and then they played big. And that, to me, is what stood out from this game, and it's the reason why the Rams were always a Super Bowl contender in my mind, and it's the reason why they're favorites in the Super Bowl because those Stars, uh, you know, when when they're on, no one can boast the kind of talent that L.A. can't. I will give San Francisco credit. They kept Aaron Donald pretty quiet. Oh no, a hundred percent. I mean, they, they were they were double teaming him inside, outside. This offensive line really did an incredible job. Yeah, I mean zero I, sacks. They had zero sacks in the game. Leonard Floyd, had, Von Aaron Miller, Donald, Aaron had, Donald had zero sacks in the game. Right. I mean, so you did a pretty good job there. Aaron Donald had zero tackles. He only right. assisted. So right. like. Yeah, they did a great job of keeping that defensive line shut. But but you're right. The stars showed out. By the way, welcome to a winning football team, Odell Beckham. Yeah. Finally breaking out and having a big game. And what a time. He's been good in the playoffs, but like, I mean, what a time to to have the biggest game that you've had in a long time. I don't remember remember the last time OBJ had 100 yards receiving. I can't even, I can't even recollect that. It might be some one-off times with the Browns, but that was it. You know, that a huge game by OBJ. But look, the, the real feel-good story here is Matthew Stafford. 12 years in Detroit, losing football, never going to be in a serious contender role. He comes to L.A. via the trade uh, to the exact date that yes. he got traded, January Beautiful. 30th, and he gets himself to a Super Bowl. Um, poetic justice for Matthew Stafford. Um I mean, the, the run game is going to have to figure something out if they're going to play this Bengals defense because the Bengals defense... They'll be able to be better against the run. Well, the run is where the Bengals are weak. Again, another reason why I was surprised the Chiefs didn't run it more, but uh, that is sort of the weakness on this Bengals defense, if you will. So right. I'm sure that's a, an area the Rams will want to attack. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll definitely need to improve that in this game, but... You're right. Stafford coming up big. That's what this is about to me. Coming down the stretch, Stafford came up big and he made plays and he made a difference. And that's what elite level quarterbacks can do. And, you know, where does Matthew Stafford rank among quarterbacks? It doesn't really matter. When he's on, he's a top five talent, right? He's a top five capable guy. Is he that week in, week out? No. That's why he's not 
Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, but he is a guy capable of doing that. Uh, and certainly uh, that is why they traded for him. And, you know, I just look at this team, the last three possessions, touchdown, field goal, field goal. They scored in the last three possessions to win this game. Uh, and Matthew Stafford got it done. And it is a great, it's an exciting story. You know, who isn't rooting for Matthew Stafford in this, in this opportunity? It's, it's incredible. Uh, and it just goes to show that the Rams were right in making that move. They made the right decision. They're in the Super Bowl again. And it's in large part because of this guy. So well done, LA. Well done to this front office uh, for making that decision and, and putting their eggs in this basket. And, you know, congrats to Matthew Stafford. Incredible. Yeah. Finally, finally, yeah. he's there. Right. Exactly. Uh, Mitch, let's. Um, Let's do a bit. I just want to look a bit ahead at, at the Super Bowl. I don't want to get in too much here, but just some of the pre preliminary thoughts here. Obviously, uh, Rams will be playing in their home stadium here in SoFi, but they are not the home team. Uh, so they don't even get to be in their own lockers. In this, despite the fact that they're playing the Super Bowl at their home stadium, they don't get to be in their home lockers. They have to be in the visitor lockers because the AFC team is the home team. And so the Bengals get the home. That's just dumb. but. Rams are favored four and a half in this game early line. That feels high to me. I don't understand that to me, uh, the four and a half, you have, the four and a half line. You have not been watching the Cincinnati Bengals team in the playoffs. If you picked the Rams four and a half favorites, like this is going to be a three point game and it should be three and a half, maybe three for the Rams, right? Like that's my thought. I think this should be much closer. I don't know why LA is getting the four and a half bump here. I don't. I I don't either. I'm looking at I'm looking at the lines right now. So it's right now the early spread is four and a half in favor of the Rams. Right. Um money line is at minus two hundred for the Rams, plus one sixty-three for the Bengals. Uh the over-under set at 48 and a half. Early on, I gotta take Bengals plus five plus four and a half. Absolutely. Yeah, because um, that's too big. That line's I'm too not, big. I, and I'm not picking. Uh, yeah, because I'm not picking a winner yet. But like, I think the Bengals cover that. So, give me the Bengals covering the spread. Not picking a winner yet. Make that very clear, <laughs> very clear, because this is going to be a tough game to pick. I might take the under here. Yeah, and that's, you know... I'm like, at 48 and a half, I oh, might yeah. take the under. I mean, both these games this past week were pretty low scoring, right? 27-24, Two all great the Bengals, defenses. All the Bengals games this offseason or this postseason have been closest, what, 26-19, and then, what, 2017, and then 27-24. Like, they've all been really, you know, low yeah. scoring games, even though this offense is obviously capable and the Rams offense is capable, but they're also solid defenses. So, yeah, I would, I would lean... Uh, you know, I think that's a pretty good line. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably lean the under, you know, the under now, at, at the, the under at, and a half. at minus 110. So right. yeah, right. I, yeah, it is. It is interesting. We'll see how that, uh, how the line changes perhaps as we get closer to the game. Uh, you know, there's, I want to talk about some of the storylines in this game. Uh, first and foremost, there's the obvious uh, coaching storyline here, Zach Taylor a Sean McVay disciple, right? The Bengals mm -hmm. hired him after that Super Bowl run because teams wanted to replicate 
what LA had been able to accomplish and what Sean McVay had been able to accomplish. And here he is now facing his mentor, the guy who got him that gig, essentially being associated with Sean McVay got, you know, there's the whole joke at that point that anybody who had even got coffee to Sean McVay was going to get hired as a coach somewhere. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, you met Sean McVay in an elevator once here, be the quarterback coach. Like it was like, it, you just wanted anybody who would even breathe the same air as him. And now one of those guys who got a head coaching opportunities in the Super Bowl facing him. So I, I think that's a fascinating aspect of this. The fact that the Rams went to a Super Bowl three years ago and that team was different, but a lot of that team is still here. Aaron Donald, still a staple on this team. Cooper Cup was young in that season, but a member of that team. And uh, obviously Sean McVay leading that team in a disappointing 13 to three loss to the Patriots. Certainly they want to redeem themselves. I would, I would certainly imagine that the offense will go a little better for them this time around. Uh, if Sean McVay goes to super, two, two Super Bowls and doesn't score a touchdown, I mean, like, come on. So uh, I think that uh, that storyline is interesting as well. Uh, any, any sort of early thoughts on this or storylines or matchups that you're interested in? I'm it's you know here's a matchup I'm really interested in Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey oh yes oh I, yes. That's I prime am time baby that's amazing. I mean that is as good as it gets I am so excited to see the match I'm excited to see the quarterback matchup Joe Burrow the new face Matthew Stafford probably the tail end of that last the of the previous era finally getting in I want to see that but Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey Two completely different personality types. The the explosiveness of both players to go off at any given night. I mean, this this is marquee. That yeah. is marquee matchup that you cannot miss. That is must-see football. That is Richard Sherman and his prime against I, I I don't know Randy Moss in his prime to me like that <laughs> yeah. that is how good of a matchup yeah. that will be I mean th- this is the next generation of marquee matchups that is much is musty football I gotta see that matchup that's the matchup I'm most excited to see yeah um, I love that and I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that because I that's definitely one that you know immediately sticks out in your mind you're like I want to see how, you know, do the Rams, uh, Rams, he doesn't travel, right? It's not like he's the kind of corner that travels to one side or, you know, he sticks on a side usually. Right. The Rams go away from that. I mean, Ramsey's also played a lot in the slot this year so far. And, you know, we saw last week uh, a Chiefs team that, that fully focused their defense on stopping Jamar Chase, double covering him every time and making somebody else from that Bengals offense beat them. The problem is, that the rest of the receiving core is really freaking good. T Higgins is really freaking good. Tyler Boyd is a really good slot receiver. So you can't just like, you know, take Jamar chase out and think, Oh, job is done. I mean, those other guys can beat you and Joe Burrow can beat you. So it will be interesting to see how the Rams handle that considering the chiefs employed a strategy and it didn't necessarily work. Yeah, no, that that is definitely a matchup to watch. The, for sure. the the one other matchup that comes to mind here, uh, and this is this is a very easy one, is this Bengals offensive line versus the Rams defensive line. And and as I mm-hmm. said, almost sixty pressures, I think over sixty pressures in their three playoff games, the Bengals have given up in their three and zero. They were sacked nine, gave up nine sacks against the Titans, and they still won. So it's hard to say as much as you would think that 
that is going to matter, right? Offensive line play is going to matter. Well, it kind of hasn't, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't hurt them from winning yet. So will it finally come back to bite them in the Super Bowl is going to be the biggest story for me. And I mean, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald versus the bums on that Bengals offensive line. That is just uh, the offensive line coach in Cincinnati has got his hands full this next couple of weeks, you know, training, scheming his guys up and getting, getting them ready. That's all I'm saying, because uh, that is going to be huge to me. You know, it's going to be even better about that Super Bowl, Dallin. Is that you and I will be watching that Super Bowl together because we're getting together for the Super Bowl again this year, baby. Yes, yes. Mitch is coming out here. Uh, Friday before the Super Bowl, so we'll have a ton of content while he's out here on the TikTok, on our socials, and record a reaction podcast, I'm sure, to the Super Bowl um, and anything else fun. So, yes, that will be fun. And we'll get in more into the Super Bowl matchup uh, next week as we do our preview pod, so you'll want to look forward to that. But, uh, Mitch, that's about it for the podcast today, right? That's I it. mean, that's, that's, that's about it. We've gotten to a bunch of news and, and obviously reacting to a great conference championship weekend. So it's been fun. We'll, we'll wrap it up here. We appreciate you guys uh, sticking around and listening to us today. If you don't already follow us on social media, the Twitter is at sports hour guys. Instagram is at the sports hour guys, the TikTok at the sports hour guys. You can also follow me on Twitter at little Thoint. Mitch, tell, remind the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only place that you can be a part of the conversation here on the Sports Hour. Go on anchor.fm slash sports hour, guys. Leave us a rating, or sorry, leave us a voice message and become a part of the conversation. If you leave a voice message up there, we will play it here on the Sports Hour and answer your question live. So go ahead. We want you to be a part of the conversation. We're looking forward to you asking your questions, wanting to be a co- part of the conversation. Uh, we, you can listen to us anywhere that you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Go ahead on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating review. Tell us that we suck because Dallin – that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we could get better. Uh, guys, thanks again for listening. Uh, look forward to next week's episode with the Super Bowl preview and more fun ahead. And uh, also uh, some fun announcements ahead. Uh, Super Bowl weekend, we'll have something fun coming out. So that's the tease that's that you right. get. That's all you're getting. So look forward to that. That will be coming. Uh, but here we go. We'll wrap it up here. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next week. See ya!